Toastmasters. Would-be Toastmasters, listeners and friends. Do you know, James, I've been saying those words for the last eight years or whatever it is I've been presenting this programme, and I really feel I ought to be finding another way of starting. But on the other hand, greetings, Toastmasters, would-be Toastmasters, listeners and friends. You're very welcome to the Talk Show for Talkers here on irishtalkers.com. Right, you can get in touch with us if you feel so minded, and we do wish you would, by sending an email to info at irishtalkers.com. You can find us on the web as irishtalkers.com, and you can sometimes find us on Facebook as The Talk Show for Talkers. This week is our magazine show, and I, Maura O'Brien, am joined by the famous James Finnegan. <laughs> Famous or infamous, Moira? Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to change the alliteration, so I, I kept it as famous. <laughs> we have a full show for you today, as always. First of all, we will have uh, James talking about... Leadership opportunities. Feverishly looking up. Because <laughs> I didn't have it. I closed WhatsApp down because keeping WhatsApp open on the screen... What happens is you get a beep and it comes in on the recording, which is not very good. So James is going to be talking about leadership options and opportunities. We will have a word of the week and I will be trying not to be nervous. There you are. How about that? James, what are the options that I have about leadership and what opportunities are there for me? Oh, Moira, what do we say about Toastmasters? It's where leaders are made. And are these leaders made or are they found? I've always had a bit of a problem with where leaders are made. Because are they really? And how do we encourage the next generation of leaders? I heard a wonderful talk a few weeks ago by Pat Johnson. And she always said that she was picked out from her club by someone who had come to deliver a talk. As someone who had leadership potential. She didn't see it in herself. She never even considered it. But what she does, what she did, you're quite right about WhatsApp. <laughs> but someone saw something in her that could potentially encourage her to stand for higher office. Let's look at our various options. At club level, we're now moving in towards AGM territory. And I wonder how many of us have thought, well, I'll put my hat to the ring. I'd rather like a go at that. I would love the opportunity to contribute. And I always remember the old Richard Branson quote about when someone offers you an opportunity, say yes, and then worry about learning how to do it. And let's face it, our club environment is safe. Our club environment is secure. So I really hope that someone, somewhere, is thinking strongly about putting their name forward. And I suggest that in the few months left in this current year, if there is a role that particularly interests you or excites you, or you'd like to learn a bit more about it, why don't you offer yourself to be an assistant for these remaining few months? You'll get a feel for the job. And should you be fortunate enough to be elected, you will have that head start into it. Of course, if someone is moving into an office, it also means that someone is moving away from an office. 
And I wonder how many club leaders are looking at the opportunity to expand their leadership knowledge and experience by making that next step up to area. We are always looking for area directors. The work can be very rewarding. It can broaden your horizons. It will certainly broaden your experience and network. And it's very interesting to see how another club works. Because while every club has the same general feel and the same standard type of events at a meeting, each club has its own individual nuance and its own individual ambience. And it's interesting to see how different clubs work. I've sometimes found that you could take some ideas and adapt them for your own club. You can also, gosh, I'm not going to go anywhere near that. That doesn't work at all. But that area option and that involvement at the next level of seeing how the, the network of Toastmasters operates and the learning experience that you gain from it cannot, cannot be ignored, cannot be bet bettered. We had a talk in District 71 this week, in fact, and a number of people who were keen to, ex uh, to experience area, area directorship they were, they were asking the sort of questions you would expect. What kind of support is there? Well, the support is massive, quite frankly, not only from your own clubs, but also from people who have been in that role before. You are not on your own. Yes, you have commitments. You have to do two, at least two area reports during the year. You have to attend district officer training. But you can help clubs achieve their aspirations, and you can make the difference. I think if I was to sum it up, you would help more people benefit from their Toastmaster experience. And of course, after area, there come division. And division directors are almost as hard to find as area directors. And again, it encourages you to try your own thing within the parameters of the role. But you can be inventive, you can be imaginative, and you can be productive. As I said earlier, we have a few months left in this current year. Why not offer your assistance to the area director and the division director, even if it comes to helping out with the contests which are coming up? Ask to go along to the district and the area officer training. There's no rule saying that you have to be an officer to attend. And I strongly encourage people who have an interest to come along. You will not be rebuffed. You will be supported. You'll be encouraged. You will be welcomed. In these area and district roles, I think it's very important, ironically, for a, an organization that not only promotes leadership, but promotes communication. It's very important that you are not a stranger to these clubs, because it's only by going and meeting and talking and seeing that you can see opportunities to help and assist them and to listen to their concerns. You might have the answers, and if you don't, you might know where to get them. I would strongly urge you to have a go. I would strongly encourage you to promote Toastmasters generally, but also to promote your leadership aspirations. There is no shortage of opportunities to try these things in the safe, supportive environment that Toastmasters offer. So I look forward to the next generation coming forth from this talk and from the support you've got
from your colleagues nearer to home. Thank you very much for your service. I look forward to seeing you in the future. Thanks for that, James. If I was 20 years younger, or maybe 30 years younger, then I would be leaping up to take on leadership roles for the very reasons that you've stated. It's enjoyable. It's rewarding. It's not huge hard work unless you go up maybe to district level where, yes, the, the pressures, I think, are quite considerable. But it's all voluntary. But most of all, you get a great deal of satisfaction out of being able to help others. Because given the nature of the Toastmasters organization, nothing is mandatory. The area director does not impose his or her views upon the clubs. It is voluntary. It is supportive. And I think because it's in a supportive capacity, that gives you a lot of satisfaction when your clubs come back to you and say thank you. And the same obviously applies as you go up the ladder to, dis to division or district. Well, that was a very sagacious... Uh, uh, well, oh, yeah, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. <laughs> that serves you right. Exactly. That serves you right for sneaking in a look. James, you have a word of the week, I believe. <laughs> well, I did have, but maybe I'll change it now just to confuse you. <laughs> the word of the week, gentle listener, is sagacious, which means to have or show an acute mental discernment and a keen practical sense. Yes, indeed. It is practically the definition of Moira O'Brien. It means shrewd. It means having or showing sound judgment. And whenever I hear the word sound or the comment sound, I'm reverted back to Yes Minister, where it was always a great tribute to be considered sound. And the reason I enjoy it is that now that I've moved to Ireland, one of the greatest compliments anyone can pay to you here is that you're sound. But sound, of course, is far too easy a word. That's why I chose sagacious. It's from the Latin, sagere, or sagax, which means to be astute. And even as we speak, Moira is flicking through the thesaurus, trying to find another definition or another meaning. Sagacious, well, to I'm, be astute. I'm looking at the obsolete meaning which is having an acute sense of smell. And I'm wondering if that, there's a connection there, if you think about it. Having an acute sense of smell, you can smell out things, smell, you know, how things are. So maybe that's how it, it morphed into its present meaning and the original meaning was dropped. It is a useful word. It is a word that we can use in our Toastmasters uh, speeches or evaluations. So Toastmasters, have a think about it. Have a thought. Have a think. Have a thought. Have a think. think. I think I thought. Yeah, enough of that. Let's move on because I'm very nervous. Why? Well, I'm not really. I used to be though. When I started out on my Toastmasters journey, I used to be extremely nervous for no good reason. The problem that I had and I've probably said this many times on this show, is that when I was asked to speak in public, 
I knew what I wanted to say, but as soon as I got up to say it, it just scrambled into meaningless rubbish in my brain, and I could not express myself. And that is one of the evidences of being very nervous. So what can we do about it? Well, there are a number of things that we can do. First of all, let's get the elephant out of the room. Being nervous of speaking in public is absolutely normal. Mark Twain said, there are two types of speakers. I love this quote. Those who get nervous and those who are liars. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Everybody gets nervous. And it is supposedly one of the, the major fears that people have close to, if not ahead of, dying. So let's think about why we get nervous. There are many reasons. Probably one of the biggest ones is we don't want to put ourselves up for criticism. People might not like what I'm going to say. They might think that I'm an idiot. They might think I don't know what I'm talking about. They're going to criticize me. Well, yeah, there might be one or two people who will criticize you. But literally one or two. The majority of people, when you stand up in public to speak, the majority of people are on your side. They actually want you to succeed. They want to hear what you have got to say. So let's think about how we can control these nerves. I say control because we don't want to get rid of them completely. If we got to the stage where we have no nerves at all, then there is always the possibility we are actually going to do something silly because we're taking it for granted. We're not concentrating properly on what we're trying to say. So let's think about um, managing your nerves. The first thing to think about is that uh, public speaking has nothing to do with your own self-worth. doesn't matter how you think about yourself. What matters is the skill and the sincerity that you can put into what you are saying so that people who are listening to you want to hear what you've got to say. And being yourself, being sincere, being in the moment are probably the most important aspects of good audience connection. The next thing we've got to think about is persuading your brain actually to work with you instead of working against you. <laughs> when we're really nervous, our ability to think quickly and clearly diminishes. It may vanish entirely to the extent that we actually completely dry up. But when we're speaking to audience, we want our brain to be working properly. We want to be in the moment. We want to be able to think about what we're saying and respond to the needs and reactions of our listeners. So how do you control these voices that are working against you in your brain? Well, according to psychiatrist Steve Peters, author of The Chimp Paradox. I love that word, the chimp paradox. You can learn to manage stress positively. Steve talks about the human or thinking part of our brain, which is the prefrontal cortex that works with logic and reason, and the chimp that makes snap judgments based on emotions and gut instinct. So that's where 
we have got to do some work. This is the flight or fight response mechanism, and it originates in the amygdala. So these two parts of the, world, of the brain can actually work independently, <laughs> which doesn't help us at all. What we've got to do is to try to concentrate on the logic and the reason side of the brain and try to ignore the emotions and the, the fight and flight part of the brain. So you can do this over time. How? Well, the first thing, and this is the thing that I say to everybody, is take every opportunity you can to speak. Not just to Toastmasters, but friends and family and colleagues and in social situations, in parties. Just take every opportunity to talk to as many people as you can. And in any public speaking environment, arrive early. Familiarise yourself with the speaking area. Make sure that you understand, are you going to be using a microphone or are you going to be just talking out loud? Or uh, is it sitting down? Is, it, are the, is there going to be a lectern? Etc. All these things can make you nervous if you haven't thought about them beforehand. If you haven't prepared yourself for the physical environment that you're going to be in. And expect that you are going to be nervous. Take deep breaths. Don't know why, but that just works. <laughs> it calms you down and it allows you to concentrate more on that logical part of your brain. Try to banish the chimp from your brain and get the adrenaline going. But get the adrenaline going in such a way you can harness it, harness it to giving a good performance, to remembering your words, to getting good audience contact and connection. Don't expect perfection. Don't expect perfection. Your goal when you take the stage is to make a connection with your audience and to impart some knowledge or whatever the purpose of your speech is. If you strive to be perfect, you will probably come over as insincere. Perfection is something that is probably out of our possibilities. Nobody is perfect. We can, we can aim to be the best that we can be, and that is good enough. So don't let, what is this, the phrase, James? Don't let the, the good be um, the enemy of the not so good. I can't remember the phrase. <laughs> it's a very good phrase, <laughs> which is uh, it escapes me at the moment. <clears throat> is it don't let perfection be the enemy of the good? Something like that. Yes. Yes. Yep. So there we are. Practice, 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 practice. Can never say that often enough. Uh, but I think the key thing out of everything I've said today is that statement. Take every opportunity to get up and speak in public. The more you do it, the easier it becomes, the less you will have nerves. But try to keep just that little bit of nerve, because that little bit of nerve is going to keep you on your toes and stop you perhaps from making a fool of yourself. How often do you do that, James? Make a fool of yourself. Oh, far too often to even count. 
as my children and my wife, and I'm sure my grandchildren will say in the future, oh, dare, don't embarrass us, <laughs> which, of course, as a husband, father, and grandfather, is my sole purpose in life. Absolutely. But I, I love what you said there, Moira, about the fear of public speaking coming top even higher than death in lists of, of people's fears. Yes. Which tends to suggest to me that you would much rather be in the coffin than give the eulogy. And that seems to be quite worrying. I totally endorse what you say about the, the need for just a little bit of nerves, just to keep you that bit sharp. I know certainly speaking from my stage acting and from choral singing, the only time I ever get worried is when the clown in front of me says, oh, I'm not nervous at all. Because what happens is as soon as they go out and the spotlight hits them, everything goes blank and they've dropped you in it. Yep. Yeah. I, I've probably told this story before that about Laurence Olivier used to get severe stage fright towards the end mm -hmm. and indeed went to the extent of having a bucket at either wing of the stage to collect the result of his nervousness. <laughs> but Moira, I think the most important thing you said is sincerity. And a wise man said a long time ago, sincerity is important. If you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> That's an oxymoron if ever I heard one. There's a good word for the week. An oxymoron. Anyway, shall we call that a day and bring this uh, episode to a close? I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've stayed with us right to the end, then thank you. From myself and from James, we'll see you again next week, hopefully with another interview. From Moira O'Brien, goodbye. And from James... Goodbye. Thank you for listening.